1: We are talking today about decolonial queerness with Sandeep Bakshi. Sandeep, would you mind introducing yourself?
0: Thank you, Saronik. I'm an associate professor in queer and postcolonial literatures and cultures at the University of Paris. My work primarily focuses on decolonial enunciation of knowledges, specifically in relation to transnational narratives of gender and sexuality. So it is in this regard that along with similar-minded colleagues, we founded the Academic activist Artist group, decolonized Queer in 2010, which is now well known as the Decolonizing Sexualities Network, the DSN. So we've held several events, conferences, we run website as what we like to think is archive, and have had two decolonial cafes energized by artists, activists, and other members of the queer and color community, one in Paris and one online recently. So these are transnational spaces of solidarity, movement building and reflection that our network
1: promotes. We'll get a chance to talk about uh, your network, by the way, I'm pretty sure. But let me start off by asking you, what the heck is decolonial queerness?
0: So in our era, when you see every aspect of our existence uh, today, you know, in, is scrutinized through the lens of decolonial or when we attempt to decolonize all relations of power, I'm not actually critical of such movements as being particularly remiss in understanding our worlds or whatever. So in such time, allow me to begin with Sylvia Tamale's assessment of what has been termed the fallest movements, you know, roads must fall, um, and movements that followed. So in Tamale's view, e-colonization, when put in the context of fallest movements or even independent struggles that happened before in the 20th century, They fail their promise of liberation when not implicating into their frames questions of genders, sexualities, disabilities, among other marginalizations. So following on from Tamale, I would think that the elision of trans and queer frames in, let us call them, social justice movements, because that's what they are, is a significant oversight that produces, in its turn, exclusions, but are also grave impediments to collective emancipation, besetting aspirations of social justice movements. So I think emancipation or liberation of all is one key tenet of of decolonial queerness as I see it. So this is how I see queerness inserting itself in narratives of decolonization. So one idea is this, and the other, that we as a collective group, the DSN, have developed over the last decade or so, Follows the queer of color critique, as conceptualized as you might know by Rod Ferguson and Jose Munoz, uh, among others, and it again points uh, the systematic exclusion of non-Western, non-white manifestations of queerness as lying outside the purview of queerness per se, such that the theological narrative of first in the Western, then the rest, is normalized queer and trans people of color inhabiting various regions in the geopolitical West as diasporic subjects appear marginal to thinking of queer politics because of such embedded histories of making borders normative, not just geopolitical borders, but epistemic borders as well. Simply put, given the multifarious genealogies of queerness transnationally, a hegemonic formation of queerness, almost normative queerness has emerged in the global North that arrogates to itself the idea itself of queer rights and emancipation of queer and trans peoples. Decolonial queerness, in my view, following on from queer of color critique, signals not only the immediacy to factor in formations of race, immigration, diasporas, and other instances of exclusion, but also instructs queer analysis to emplace dominant queerness in global processes of control and territorial aggrandizement, which is to say how queerness in certain instances can be deployed in the service of heteronormative andor nationalist politics. So in this sense, in this regard, it suits to all notions of justice, may be restorative, reparative, or transformative and its attributes. It is in fact queerness broadly conceived as we like to call it which implies that for instance I can think of garment workers in the global south or proponents of climate justice are intrinsically attached to decolonizing queerness with a view to enacting liberation for all forms of life.
1: You mentioned Munoz's work and horizons are really important in his work and how queerness, it builds on the strength of imaginative possibilities much more so than a kind of presentist acclimatization to the condition of the present. So I'm wondering, you talked about first in the West, then the rest, if you could elaborate just a little bit on how the DSN and the work that you do is conceptualizing large-scale temporalities on the basis of the difference in queer rights movements in different parts of the world?
0: So I think coming back to Munoz's work and the idea of horizons, which is really important, and it is also uh, thinking about how our world and I think I will come to this later, uh, is co-constituted, not just geopolitically. Stuart Hall um, said that a long time back that the third world is already diasporized. Not just geopolitically, but also uh, temporarily, that means that today this argument that queerness is presentist doesn't hold true because we've seen um, existence of queerness in all forms and all uh, geopolitical locations, uh, right from our existence, perhaps. You know, and these these are archives that are important because they inform not only the present but also the future. There have been, for instance, laws, and we all know about how laws were instituted during the colonial period against certain forms of love uh, or certain forms, certain practices, sexual practices. Uh, So this is, for us, it's just a part of what has happened. And it is, um, 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 if you look at the temporal horizon from ever since existence began to today, it's just a very minute part of it. So for us, it doesn't really matter that, of course, the law should go. We're not saying that the law should not go. But for us, Um, You know, any homophobic law has to go because that's how our lives are regimented. But for us, following Munoz's idea of horizons, for us, it's just a part of it. And today, if the West, um, and I'm again coming back to the first in the West and then the rest, if the West uh, claims for itself the idea of, you know, simple idea of human rights, for instance, there are fault lines to it and this is what decolonial queerness would do is to point to these fault lines analyze them and then say there are other ways of existence that have always been there but doesn't mean that we remain itself on the that we remain um, on the critique itself but we go beyond the critique that we build solidarities
1: how do we use decolonial queerness and i'm hoping for some insight into the activistic world that you do here.
0: Uh, I think this is this is really important uh, question about deployment of decolonial colonial So I will come back to the narrative of same sex marriage and you know how Karma Chavez and the group against equality worked to produce this absolutely brilliant anthology of against sex um, against equality uh, and also continued Karma Chavez co- continues the work of queers and migrants and undocumented migrants. You see, so. Mm. Within the narrative, within, so I'll begin with the narrative of same-sex marriage, especially the human rights frame, which, um, as an important aside, is not intrinsic to the geopolitical West, you see, even though it claims this frame for itself. So the overemphasis of um, on equal rights, same-sex marriage, adoption, homoparenting, in mainstream queer movements has mainly become an instantiation of what has been termed Normativity. So the deployment of decolonial queerness in this scenario is a very complex one because it functions for us as an analytic, an analytic that, as you know, I may have explained, describes the event that conditions uh, and conditions that regiment our politics or queer politics. In this example, same-sex marriage, of course. However, the analytic goes beyond a simple observation, description, critique. By departing from these narratives, not as an attempt to undermine the discourses on equality, you see, we're not against equality as such. Instead, it brings to focus movements for socioeconomic justice that are perhaps co to political demands of same-sex equality, but are part of a wider network of decolonial right. resistance globally. Uh, again, it is part of practices of uh, people who Maria Lugones identifies as resistors and not just simply the oppressed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I can think of, you know, um, in, in terms of uh, resistance, I can think of uh, where I'm based at the moment in France, I can think of lesbians of color who think of their group as resisting not only state violence, institutional violence against people of color, but also ultra-patriarchal violence against lesbians. And what they do is they they generally uh, make the case for asylum seekers from all over the world and, you know, they help them with uh, gaining asylum in France. It doesn't work all the time, but at least the group exists. So I can think of one group as such, uh, which does this work. So decolonial queerness constitutes then in its deployment as a strategy of resistance to harnessing of queer and trans subjects in the dynamics of power power hierarchies. All hierarchies, you know, as I said, you know, just not just institutional hierarchy, but also heteropatriarch, heteropatriarchal oppression. So one word on decolonial queerness as praxis. Now I think that's, it's a word that everyone uses. So what I would like to do is insist on, or rather, bring back the idea of praxis in the sense Maria Lugones imagined political praxis in her earlier work, Pilgrimages, Peregrinajes. That is to say, the connection of our collective doing. Our collective practices, and this connection to the political agenda of emancipation for all. It might have, and I'm, I'm, I really like this phrasing by Maria Lugones, attenuated sense of agency, or it might just look inconsequential, to borrow from her. But it is powerful nonetheless. It is this connectedness. You see the coalitions, the alliances, imagined. You know the word imagination is really important here. Imagined by Lugones, that decolonial queerness strives for. So it operates as an epistemic tool Mm. by indicating these fault lines and strategies of inclusion. It offers a political stance of resistance to it, not just by refusal, you see, but also at times by deprivileging queerness as a simplistic nominal identity. I can think of the work of Al-Khaos in Palestine, for instance. How can you talk about queerness when there is an occupation? And they have developed complex strategies of speaking of queerness within this whole overarching institutional oppression of, of occupation. So extricating oneself from relations with coloniality or other forms of dominance, it needs necessitates unsettling relations of power. Right. Decolonial queerness enables us to contemplate those modalities of existence that are not systematically tethered to a hierarchical organization of our worlds.
1: How will decolonial queerness save the world?
0: The thing with decolonial queerness is that it is just one you see, amongst a multitude of analytics, and as such possesses the potential to re-energize our thinking of hierarchies, all hierarchies perhaps, but there are other analytics that are also working to think of relations of power or to undermine or to unsettle these relations of power. So it will be extremely overambitious to state that it will save the world. After all, the field of decolonial queerness that we've helped define, and as it is developing today, eschews such grand narratives of savorism. It is envisaged as a possibility and not as a revolutionary possibility at all or radical possibility, whatever revolutionary or radical might mean in this context. In other words, decolonial queerness works towards building coalition and alliances with other constituencies that may not be considered or that may not be conventionally considered queer at all. Analysis of race, military and other forms of occupations, indigenous forms of knowledges disability mobilization, neo-colonial capitalism, and so on. So it walks away from a critique of extant relations of power to reflect upon constructing coalitions with political mobilization positioned towards achieving social transformation. So you see the key word is social transformation. And it continuously foregrounds non-normative genders and sexualities. So as with other current social justice movements, it does not aim to solely reduce equality or even change the world as such, even though that agenda is probably part of the possibility. But it is pious to modify the conversation itself. So we're not changing the terms of the conversation, we're changing the conversation by bringing into dialogue the significance of transformative coalitional politics and emancipatory
1: mobilization. This was such a fascinating and illuminating conversation. And it helped sort of concatenate several erstwhile disparate ideas in my head. So thank you so much for coming to High Theory and talking about decolonial queerness. Thank you.
0: Thank you to you. And thank you for listening to High Theory.
1: If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix.
0: Sharonik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music and Kim Adams and Sharonik Bosu edit our audio.
1: You can also find us at hightheory.net.
0: We hope you have a highly theoretical day.